And now, a Blaze Media podcast. Coming up on Stu Does America, Glenn Beck has returned to the building. And what he found upon his return was actually pretty amazing. We'll tell you what it was. Jason Buttrell joins us to talk mail-in voter fraud and an amazing nugget from the upcoming report that's looking at spying on the Trump campaign. You can get Glenn's show as well as this one anytime with your Blaze TV subscription. Just go to blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. Of course, you can watch uh, online for free as well uh, by going to YouTube and searching for stew. I'll be the first one there. Make sure to subscribe and click that cute little bell for notifications. And don't forget to like this video as well. It helps us in our battle against the algo bots. The show is also available on Pluto TV and for free on audio podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. It really helps us out, and we thank you very much. Well, it is true that the virus of stupidity continues to be very contagious. Perhaps, though, we're in for some good news about the coronavirus. Let's do the weakening pandemic. Stu does America. You may know by now that I am not America's biggest Andrew Cuomo fan. That honor, of course, goes to Andrew Cuomo. On the other hand, I created, of course, AndrewCuomoIsAwful.com, and then by popular demand, ChrisCuomoIsWorse.com. But while I do expect to one day see everyone in America carrying around an Andrew Cuomo is Awful mug, I am not surprised that it hasn't happened yet. What is shocking is that anyone would want to give Governor Grim Reaper a book deal, especially after his memoir that was published in 2014. Announced in the Wall Street Journal with the headline, Betting Big on Cuomo's Memoir, the story began, Will at least 200,000 people want to purchase New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's forthcoming memoir? His publisher, HarperCollins, is betting on it. Mr. Cuomo's book, All Things Possible, Setbacks and Success in Politics and Life, will have an initial print run of 200,000 copies, according to a spokeswoman for HarperCollins. So did at least 200,000 people want to purchase Andrew Cuomo's book? No. No, they did not. In fact, only 3,200 people wanted to purchase Andrew Cuomo's book. That's only 1.6%. Of the first printing, which, to be clear, is still way, way too high. It also got people in New York asking incredibly valid questions like this one from the Buffalo News. How did Cuomo make $783,000 on a memoir that sold 3,200 copies? What a good question this is from the Buffalo News. I wonder if they ever got an answer. They write, in all, Cuomo has made $783,000 from HarperCollins for his book. The book sold 3,200 copies since it was published in the fall of 2014, according to tracking company MPD BookScan. That works out to a royalty payments to Cuomo of $245 per book. I'm starting to think that the book company may have lost some money on this venture because forget about 245 bucks, you probably could have bought that book for $2.45, which to be clear, would be way, way too much. I can't understand why anyone would want Andrew Cuomo to speak at their convention, and I don't understand why the Democrats wanted it either. But when you learn that they were so desperate that they were inviting people who got on-camera massages from victims of Jeffrey Epstein, eh, maybe you can understand Andy's inclusion a little bit. 
I tell you the story of Cuomo's failure yet again for a couple of reasons. First, Andrew Cuomo is awful. Dot com. But secondly, and more importantly for all of us, it's important to understand how truly terrible Andrew Cuomo is when assessing your own safety and the safety of our country as a whole. We've talked a lot about COVID-19 since this show started. Some even credit the launch of this show for bringing the pandemic to our shores. <laughs> if you look at a chart of how many episodes I have done on this show and compare it to the number of coronavirus cases, it looks suspiciously similar. As we've covered the pandemic, I've done my best to try to cut through all the nonsense out there, and I just don't see a lot of that going on in the media right now. Everyone is either in the all-out close the economy and stay in your panic room until the year 3000 mode, or they're in the COVID-19 isn't that bad. In fact, it's not even the flu. It's actually making us healthier. It's like vitamins mode. Everyone wants the American Idol Paula Abdul treatment. Oh, that was wonderful, honey. The opinion that you think helps your candidate's argument is just perfect. You go, girl. I'm more like the Simon Cowell of coronavirus. If the news sucks, I'm going to tell you it sucks, sometimes rudely. But if it's good, I'm going to tell you it's good. I am not invested in tearing the president down like he's a statue at a BLM rally. Today, I think I have some cautiously optimistic news. I could be wrong on this, of course, and things change quickly. But I don't think we are likely to see another Cuomo in New York style disaster in the United States. And that's great news. We're not done with this thing yet, but I do think the worst is behind us. Why is this true? Well, a bunch of reasons. At the beginning, we didn't have personal protective equipment for our first responders or for anybody else. Now it's freely available. At the beginning, we didn't have tests. So people went around their lives as normal, passing it all over the place without even knowing they had coronavirus. Now we test around 800,000 people a day. And while it's not perfect, it's much improved. At the beginning, no one was really freaked out about it. Now, even the most anti-mask people among us uh, still have cut back their personal contact with others. We sort of naturally back up a few feet and do more of our stuff outside. We're all washing our hands more and being a little less gross. At the beginning, no one had it yet. Now, a bunch of us have had it. You know, in New York, that's that number uh, in New York City, it is about 26% of the population is believed to have had coronavirus already. But the number nationwide is believed to be between 8 and 13 percent. Those people are likely immune for at least a while, and it takes them out of the pool of possible new infections. At the beginning, we were going to big gatherings where massive spread could happen. I went to an NBA game three days before they canceled the season. But now those large gatherings are pretty much off the table unless you happen to be, I don't know, in Wuhan, apparently. At the beginning, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. But now it looks like we're getting a lot better at treating those who do get it. I want to show you a chart because, um, I mean, that's just what we do on the show. The graphiest show in America. Conservators unite. It's hard to compare today to March and April because of our lack of testing. That's why the media loves to talk about case numbers. There are way more known cases now than there were in April. But we know there were way more cases in April than we actually knew about. A somewhat more reliable measure is hospitalizations. Well, conveniently, hospitalizations peaked in both waves of the virus at almost exactly the same level. They peaked around May 1st, then fell until June 1st, started climbing again through July and peaked, uh, and now have been declining for a couple of weeks. What is interesting about that is there's a pretty direct line at how many hospitalizations you have and how many dead people you should have. It looks like we've now plateaued in death numbers as well, meaning we're about at our peak. 
But while the peak in hospitalizations is identical in both waves, the peak in deaths looks a lot different. Look at this. The seven-day death average is uh, uh, at the top of the first wave was about 2,200 per day. The seven-day average now is about 1,100 per day. It's possible it ticks up a little bit from here, but it shouldn't go too much higher. And if that holds, we're talking about the same amount of hospitalizations causing only about half the deaths. I hesitate to say that 1,100 people a day dying is good news, but it's a big improvement and it's something we need to notice. Dealing with a virus like this means patching together a lot of small improvements to allow people to gain confidence so that the economy can get back to life. We're doing that bit by bit. And finally, the last reason we shouldn't see another New York Cuomo-style disaster in the U.S. is even Andrew Cuomo is running away from Andrew Cuomo. At the beginning, there were like five governors in America who were intentionally importing COVID-positive patients into nursing homes. There was only one governor that was preventing nursing homes from testing new residents to see if they were COVID-positive. Now, even Andrew Cuomo has stopped doing that. He's also lying about how many people actually were victimized by these policies, and he's the only governor in the country still doing that. The fact that even Andrew Cuomo has stopped using these Andrew Cuomo policies indicates that the thousands of excess deaths caused by these horrific blunders will probably be spared from other states when they have outbreaks. It's a simple but universal rule of good governance. And if we can all remember it, we can get through this thing. Simply look at what Andrew Cuomo does and do the opposite. Should I intentionally import a deadly virus to the place where the most vulnerable are? Well, Andrew said yes. You should say no. Should I, I don't know, sell a poster honoring our own virus response efforts and attempting to dunk on other states with one-seventh the death total of my state? Andrew said yes. You should say no. And should I release a book about the coronavirus success story of Andrew Cuomo? Andrew Cuomo said yes. His publisher, unfortunately for them, said yes too. You'd think lighting close to a million dollars of a book company's money on fire would prohibit Andy from getting another book deal. But apparently, crime pays. I'm a little I'm a little mad at CarShield right now. I got to say CarShield has these great protection programs that can save you thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, with, you know, they've got these cars that are out there now. These repairs are impossible to do yourself. They cost a fortune. I have a car that's old and it's too old for CarShield. CarShield doesn't cover cars as old as my car. And you know what happens to my car? It breaks down every two seconds. OK, it's in the shop more than I have it. If only CarShield covered my car, the world would be a better place. But they will cover your car because you have a sensible car. CarShield offers payment flexibility with monthly plans that can be customized to your needs. So there's no long-term contracts or commitments. You can choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to work on your car. And with CarShield, they will just take care of the rest. For as low as 99 bucks a month, you can protect yourself from surprises and save thousands for covered repair. Give them a call, 800-CAR-6000. 800-CAR-6000. And mention the code STU or visit carshield.com and use the code STU to save 10%. Of course, as you know. The code stew is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you can save. Carshield.com code is stew. A deductible may apply. 
All right, you're not going to believe this. In studio, right here, right now. It's actually happening. It's crazy. Glenn Beck. It's crazy, crazy. Mm. Listen to that crowd go crazy. Yeah. All right. You're hearing them right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is it weird being back here? It's been months. Um, it's weird. I mean, I think everybody is feeling the same way. A, the, most of the staff is not here. We're still on critical only staff. Um, so it's a big empty building. So that's weird. Um, I hate the commute. Hate the commute. <laughs> You're remembering that now. Yeah, because my commute was about a minute and a half. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, now it's a 30, what, 30 or 35 minute commute. And I hate that. Yeah, you want to just lose that immediately. Yeah. Um, you have a special coming up tonight. We're going to be talking to Jason Butcher yeah. a little bit, getting yep, into yep, some yep. of the details on that. Um, but one of the things, when you, when you came back uh, into the studio, you remembered things that you had been working on before the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And one of, this is things, one of these things was this big chalkboard. Um, we have a picture of it that you posted on Instagram. Um, and it's pretty remarkable because when you left for the pandemic, it didn't look exactly like this. No. So uh, to put this into perspective, and there's more, it goes all the way across. Um, that's, what would you say, Stu, 20 feet? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's huge. It's, it's like, a gigantic chalkboard. Mm-hmm. Those are huge televisions up above it. Um, and so, and you remember this, um, and my staff remembers this. Um, but when I came up with that list, I, I think I even said to people like you, uh-oh, I feel like he's talking to me again. Yeah. Um, because I really felt led between 2008 and 2012. And then it just kind of went dark for a while. And I'm like, okay, well, now what? Um, and, and some things would pop up, and I'd feel like, oh, this is really important. But then about a year and a half ago, all of this stuff just downloaded. And it, and it was just the categories. And then I filled the things in underneath. Mm-hmm. And it was this overwhelming feeling of, watch these things because you'll know the timing and as they start to come into play things will become either more stable or less stable and we couldn't present it on the show because it was just too much and so i wrote that for the researchers and i said watch these things and when they come into play start checking them off and let's really pay attention but i boiled it down to four things that we went over um, tech disruption, f- financial banking disruption, um, uh, trust implosion, and there's another one. Mm-hmm. And I did mention those, which was all of those things boiled down. There's about 80%, 90% of that board is now in play. Now, it, when you left, it was not, so you not in play. The, you could so you kind of make out the little, the little X marks next to yeah. the categories. You can't really see the categories. None of them were in play. None of them were checked None off. of them were checked Now, off. all of those are. Yeah, and it's... Uh, and it's like way down the road. I, I think we are, I think we're right around the corner of something. I, 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 from 2020 to 2024, I think we are in for um, a time we have never seen in this country. Yeah, never. It's interesting how these things, I think, seem to happen with you because you, you, you weren't out there. I mean, we've talked, actually done shows on pandemics before and that they are legitimately dangerous and can be disruptive events. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you weren't like out there saying this coming in a month, you know, this is going to be a, a pandemic. 
once the coronavirus thing started hitting uh, China, you were one of the first people I remember being legitimately like, hey, we need to keep an eye on this. This is real. And you did specials about it as well. Right. And it wasn't that it was going to be a giant killer. Right. It was going to be a killer of the global economy. Yeah. And I said, this is going to do far much, much more damage to the economy. And that's what people should pay attention to. And And, and, I don't think people understand that the the banking crisis and and the money crisis that is around the corner is going to be breathtaking. Yeah, that's one of the things I think it's interesting watching this stuff develop from you know my perspective. When you're writing these things on the board, you're not trying to predict the future. That's not what no. you're, you're not. You're not that type of person. But what you're doing is you're you're you've talked about how when a catalyst event happens, these things can set right into place because they're already making these plans. These plans they're overt about before. The catastrophe happens. This is how we're going to act in that moment. The moment happens with coronavirus, and now a lot of those things are just in play. It's like if somebody said, you know what, we're going to build gas chambers and we're going to kill all the Jews. Before Hitler comes to power, you would blow them off. But if somebody was smart, they would go, "Uh, let's put that up on a chalkboard and remember that those people want to do that and they're currently building those things. Uh, And if things start to go awry, let's come back to that. That's what I do. I take people at their word. When they say they're going to do something, I take them at their word. Because there's, this is, I believe, a global effort to change the economic uh, underpinnings of the entire world. So where does this go from here? Because that wasn't the only chalkboard you've, you've produced. And yeah. I feel like we're getting when we get into you know areas here that it gets really ugly. I don't I don't know, Stu, but I just everything in me says this fall is from 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 here uh, until the next president is seated. Uh, I just fear we're in for real trouble, possibly even a civil war because of this. And I think the next president uh, is. Um, I, I, th- I think we could go through people uh, quickly in the uh, next presidency. Hmm. <laughs> didn't expect that one, did you? No, I don't. I didn't expect to say it, but I, I, I think that we are headed for uh, the kinds of times that we had in 1968, 1969. And, uh, and, and I think that there are people that are still in the world that have bigger, would like bigger disruptions that are, are right now saying, now's the time, well, now's the time. And you feel, you know, again, you feel the anger among the normal people, which allows these people who have been planning these things to try them, right? Like, if, you're, if everything's fine, you're not going to get away with one of these no. crazy, crazy things. I mean, I think about, like, where we are with the Susan B. Anthony thing that Trump did, where he pardoned her. It's the most look, it's a meaningless political gesture. I, obviously, she shouldn't be. She's not a criminal. This is nonsensical because Trump pardons her. We get complaints that she's all of a sudden now she's being canceled. She's she was a racist this whole time. You don't understand. Um, Trump uh, doesn't understand. Susan B. Anthony didn't want to be uh, canceled. And now you've ruined or excuse me, pardoned. And now you've ruined her legacy. They will say anything. That is the opposite of what he does. Even pardoning a national hero is controversial. When that is controversial, I mean, when you get into real controversies, real things people are, are fighting over, the angst is there to support these terrible things. As Jason will say, um, coming up on the program, I'm sure, the what's coming for this election, the security of our election for the very first time in our history that I know of, 
is uh, going to be questioned. And I could see people saying, we need the UN after the election. We need the UN, we need observers, we need people. And that, that could come from the right or the left, I don't know. Um, but it, unless Donald Trump wins handily, I mean really handily, um, we're in real deep, deep, deep trouble. Because for the first time, We'll be we'll be like Belarus. We'll be, you know, what's going on in Belarus right now. And and rightfully so. The people are going, they stole the election. They stole the election. Mm. And that could come from either side at this point. Yeah, I, I keep coming back to like, you know, people, I think, in America have that normalcy bias where they don't think these crazy things can happen here. I think but that's I mean, ending. I think it's ending, too. I mean, I've seen it in the faces of people I know in our town and, and around here where when you see Dallas being burned to the ground so, and no one doing anything. Minneapolis, uh, you know, uh, L.A., all these places. It's it's it doesn't feel as distant as it once did. So two things I've been saying to people lately. We're not coming back from this. There's not a comeback. There may be remnants and things that we save and pockets, but we're not coming back to the way we were. OK, America and the rest of the world not returning back. Uh, that's a big statement. Um, and you know what? I can't tell you how many people I've said that to that will pause. It'll take their breath away and they'll go. I think that's true. Yeah. The other thing, I think there, <laughs> I think there's a real possibility that Jesus comes in the next 10 years. And boy, wouldn't that be great. And as a guy who has war gamed this for 20 years, it's slavery for the next 90 or 100 um, for the entire world with tech and everything else. I'm kind of hoping for Jesus to come. I'm kind of thinking that's a good thing. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that's the sort of optimism we come to. You. Thank you. Well, that's why I'm back. That's why I'm back. <laughs> um, speaking of end time events, you are going to the Radio Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> it is one of the fourth, fourth, <laughs> four horsemen of the apocalypse. Isn't it? I think yeah. I remember reading it was about like, that. It was like death uh, and and plague and famine and Glenn Beck in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I mean, this is big, though. I mean, I know you don't like to talk about it because, you know, I mean, I, I guess it's awkward to sit here and say I'm going to the Hall of Fame. But it's a huge honor. It's um, because, you know, there are very few people in radio that are now still real radio fans. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. The history of radio. And I am. I'm one of those guys that from the kid, I was a fan of real radio. And uh, it doesn't seem right. Honestly, <laughs> it doesn't seem right that I'm in with those people because they're they're. I was looking at the names and they're, they're incredible. Abbott and Costello, yeah. they're, 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 they're legendary. Yeah, we were going through did. the early letters on the air the other day, and there's just an amazing, you know, uh, Burns and Benny and, I mean. All of them. All of all them. Of them. All of them. I, I was flipping through the end. Our Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Ronald Reagan is in the Radio Hall of Fame. Yeah. You're, now, you should never be on a list. No, I shouldn't Reagan. be. I shouldn't be. <laughs> and it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it is. It is really cool. It is really cool. I. I. Uh, uh, I, 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 I want to do something special for the acceptance speech, and I don't know what to do yet, but mm. I'm going to do something different than everybody else. That would be great. Yeah. You, I noticed you are wearing the, uh, the shirt or jacket of a guy who was in the Hall of Fame before you, Mark Levin. So, I mean, we should note that, uh, you know, I mean... That's why I wear it. <laughs> there you go. I love Mark. Mark has <laughs> no, been... That's great. Mark called me up and he said, we've got to get you into the Hall of Fame. You know, while the voting was like, he's yeah. like, you got to come on the show. And I'm like, no, no, Mark, Mark, Mark. And he's like, Glenn, 
come on. Let's go. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I, I don't, I don't want to. You do both that. deserve to be in there. Look, I mean, yeah, I know, it's he's, been a, uh, he's remarkable. And, you, you know, you both, I mean, this you know, company, obviously, he was one of the first in the CRTV side. You obviously in the Blaze side. It's come together to a pretty amazing thing. And, it has. Uh, it's Who growing, would have seen it? It's still growing fast. Still growing fast. It's something we need, especially, I mean, we've talked about this enough, and this is another topic maybe for another day, but the tech thing is a big deal. The fact that these voices go away is a big deal. I can't remember ever thinking that, like, ever, that conservative media is more important than it is now. Because you, we are now in a society where even normal people saying normal things, Terry Crews going on and saying, yeah, by the way, I just like people, you know, I judge them on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. People like that are getting attacked. We are in a place where you need uh, a structure like this where you're incentivized to say the tough thing if the tough thing is true. I don't know if people believe it, but you should. Look at, look at where we've been and where we are today. So you should believe this. Um, if Donald Trump loses, I'm not sure any of us are in business in a year from now. I mean, Donald Trump has taken, he has taken, he's been a shield for all of us because they're so crazy about Donald Trump. They're not paying attention to any of us. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not focused. Mm. But if Donald Trump leaves, that leaves the most powerful voices in the room, people like us. And they will put everything, absolutely everything into pulling us off the air. I don't know if our voice is the only chance we have. And you know, I have talked to some really big names that are not part of the blaze. I mean, the biggest of the biggest. Yep. And they are all saying the same thing. If things go awry, can I find shelter? And I'm like, that's what we built this for, man. That's mm -hmm. what we built this for. Well, we appreciate your help in building this as well with, with all of us here. BlazeTV.com slash Stu. If you want to uh, subscribe, you save 10 bucks with the promo code Stu. Glenn, welcome back to the studios. Thank you. It's nice to good be to here, and you. it's a good temperature, too. It's freezing again in here. We went through like <laughs> six months. So it was actually warm on a daily basis. All right, uh, back in a second. AOC is always the victim of something.